Beth Gardner is here again. Beth Gardner too. What's going on, Beth? Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on again. So just a little recap for anyone who didn't see the first episode you were on. You are a uh, life coach who works with non-addicts. So people, not the addicts, but the people around the addicts. And uh, you also work with cancer patients, people who currently have cancer. Correct? Correct. Or those that are heading towards remission. So, and even people after the remission stage. But that remission stage is so critical to really weed through uh, some of the deep-rooted problems that could be associated with the cancer. Right. That's really awesome. So um, I wanted to have you on today and just kind of do a little deeper dive um, with your experience working with non-addicts, because I know it's such a, it's such a common thing like um, addiction. And I, personally, in my own life, I've known people that have, have had addiction, currently have addiction, and I've known a lot of people that have family members who do. And I think just understanding how to take steps when you're in that situation, when someone you maybe you love or maybe you're close to is an addict and, and sort of the steps you can take to help them and help yourself. So um, we can jump right into that. First, maybe let's just jump, uh, you share just a little bit about like why this was uh, something you got into in the first place. Sure. Well, as I explained before in my previous podcast with you and with other ones, I don't believe that anyone comes into this world, you know, into a human body wanting to have that addictive gene, whether it's addiction to substance abuse, whether it's addiction to shopping, to hoarding, whatever the addiction is, I don't believe that people want to come in and live that sort of challenging lifestyle. Now, that being said, Caroline Myth um, has written a book called Anatomy of Spirit, and there it discusses that you know people have original contracts, spirit contracts before we come in to this world, and um, they're part of lessons that were supposed to be learned. So there are people that would disagree with me, but you know for the most part, if I knew prior to coming in to this life that I was going to be faced with certain challenges that I have been, particularly with the cancer. I may not have wanted to come in. <laughs> I'd have passed on that. I'm going to hard pass. I'll stay own. here wherever, wherever, wherever I am. I'll stay here. <laughs> Everyone comes in with it is dealt a certain hand, right? It's a common yes. term. Yeah. And, I, and I know throughout my life, there have been times that I've held my heavy hand. Uh, and, I, and I thought to myself, oh, I'd love to trade in this card for something more positive. <laughs> so, you know, by saying that, what I'm, what I'm ultimately saying to any addicts that are out there is I'm not judging because right. from working, you know, with those that have addiction and those that don't, what I'm finding is there are so many parallels between yeah. the two reasons that, that one is struggling with addiction and one is is being the codependent or enabler of an addiction there are just so mm -hmm. many similar deep-rooted issues yeah right? that makes a lot of sense and you know from having grown up um in an environment where a lot of my teachers in you know, junior high and high school or you know coaches or the world i was surrounded by were a lot of people that had been in the military, so they had fought in you know World War II, 
Vietnam War, Korean War, yada, yada, yada. And if you speak with any people that have fought in those worlds, worlds, when they weren't in combat or they weren't on the base, they didn't really have anything else to do, which is really a shame. You think about it for young men and women to be stationed somewhere. And then on their free time, they don't really have much to do but go to a bar and drink. That's their social life. So yeah. you don't hear people came back with addiction problems, you know, that I, I don't always, you know, associate with a genetic lineage, you know, just because you're Irish doesn't mean you're going to become an addict, an alcoholic. So again, I'm, I'm looking at it from a very Libra point of view, right? Very open-minded that I'm not judging. These a lot of them didn't have anything better to do. They're going through trauma because they're having to either fight or at least be in a base where the war is going on. I mean, how traumatizing is that? Mm -hmm. You need an outlet. So that drinking was their outlet. So yeah, I, I mean, you got to imagine like the trauma would be a big piece of it, right? Like if you're seeing your, your best friend die in front of you, um, people dying around you all the time, killing other people, then you go back to the base and there's a bar there and... You know, I think the big key with addiction, and you're kind of pointing to it, um, how non-addicts and addicts have the same kind of problems, would be that, you know, oftentimes we, um, we look for something to fill a void, you know, and um, sometimes it ends up being substances. And unfortunate, all the more unfortunate, it's already in their DNA. So it's mm. related, you know, um, yeah. predestined in their DNA that there would be a chance, just like any type of mental illness, whether it's, you know, clinical depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, um, you know, inheriting brown eyes versus green eyes. It's just in the DNA, so it's inevitable to come up. So it's just really unfortunate on both sides. So just having been around it all my life, I have always been on the other side of it, but not knowing the negative side effects that were affecting me from it you know from dealing with shaming issues to guilt issues that were bestowed on to me by an addict um it leaders people that i was looking up to um not being able to think necessarily as freely not being able to express my feelings but learning really how to repress them and push them so deep that they manifest into something like a cancer right Mm -hmm. um, it was just from that experience and it was from actually uh, getting that cancer diagnosis back when I was 30, one month after turning the age of 30, that I realized, wait a minute, this doesn't run in the gene pool. It was non-genetic. So how did I get this? So it was from the research I had done through reading a Caroline Miss, the late Caroline Miss, her books, and a number of other ones um, on codependency and addiction and everything of that nature. And I mean, I can send you links to all these books, but I mean, I've just done research all, all the way back then. And I realized that it was part of the reason was not only because of having a, a lot of stress in my life, but was because of being around that sort of toxic environment. And there was no way to get away from it because again, it was just part of the culture. Yeah. You know, I grew up during a time where people were still smoking and it wasn't necessarily looked badly upon. You just thought, oh, that person smoked. 
just better just stay away from it. That's all. I so can remember being norm. a kid and uh, there'd be smoking sections and, and restaurants and stuff. Right. Right. So, um, you know, it's all perspective. So that's kind of how that got started. So once I realized from my own, in order to survive the cancer and survive that diagnosis stage three, I needed to figure out the root of what was going on. And I, from reaching out to professionals, um, as well as doing a lot of active reading, including going to libraries, you know, I started to pull those deep-seated roots that I didn't even know exist. You know, right. I didn't realize the depth of what they were there. Otherwise, yeah. I would have run the risk of having the reoccurrence. Because the name of the game when you're diagnosed with cancer is to survive it and make sure it doesn't come back. Yeah. Because when it comes back, it comes back with a vengeance, mostly. Right. That makes sense. Um, so just jumping to today, the work that you do with non-addicts, um, and again, I think it's a, it's a really important group of people to work with. I think, you know, they need a lot of help, but wh where do you start? And, and what are the biggest things that you need, like you start to work on? Well, one of the reasons rings I start to work on is teaching the non-addict exactly how to create boundaries. And one of the reasons why I stress that and find multiple ways to, dependent on the individual, I'm teaching them how to create, create boundaries was because when I was looking for professional help myself, psychiatrists, psychologists, you know, in a large metropolitan city, they were all licensed to work with addicts but they weren't licensed to work with people on the other side. And all I was mm. looking for was a roadmap. You know, right. I'm someone that can read a book, give me a manual and I'll figure out how to do it. You know, yeah. send me the manual for Ikea furniture and I'll figure out how to put it together. Um, I just needed someone to, a sounding board, a not confidential, non-judgmental sounding board to, to yeah. listen to me what I'm doing to help change my thinking so that I became more self-aware of myself and how I was contributing to being in those environments because I saw it as, as something that I had done. And it wasn't blaming the addict. I'm like, wait, now I gotta look at myself. Let's show the mirror to myself and say, self, what do you need to change in your life? But I had to figure that out on my own, unfortunately, which is why I do the coaching. So setting the boundaries is first and foremost because by setting the boundary, you are then prote ultimately protecting yourself. Even though you might have been trained to protect and care for the addict, ultimately you really need to protect yourself. And it's better for the addict. You're actually, it's a win-win on both sides. So by setting boundaries, I mean, I go to the extent of <clears throat> blocking someone's phone number at work. Pre-pandemic, I was known for doing. Because if I'm at work and I have a lot of responsibility. I do not need exterior distraction. I don't even want to hear other family members calling into the office to complain about something to their family because that's just a distraction. I'm being paid to work and to do my job, whether it's trading, working in the investment industry, whether it's you know nonprofit corporate work for cancer organizations. It's 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 not fair to the employer who's paying me. Um, and it's not fair to me either because I need to get the work done. 
and is, and I have you know projects that need to get completed at a specific time. So you set the boundaries. Like for example, calling the IT department saying I need you to block these phone numbers so this person never calls me at work, and then you block their email. Then another thing I've done on my cell phone is instead of having their actual name there, Maddie, I will I will change it to say do not respond. Okay. Or send to voicemail. So that when I see that name, that number pop up with that command to me, it tells me exactly what I need. So again, I'm setting up a boundary. So Just be that, that message, that person calling in is going right to voicemail. Right. So I don't, my heartstrings don't get pulled and I don't get sucked into saying hello. Mm. And all of a sudden yeah. I'm being drawn in. Yeah. So just to be sense? clear, so just to be clear, um, sort of in context and, and like a situation. So like say someone close to you is an addict, would you recommend this? Like at what point would you recommend this? Like say, uh, like if they're a friend or like if, would you recommend it then that if they're a family member and they're calling you all the time and it's like this thing where they're kind of like just constantly in your life trying to take, 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 or like, would you recommend this just kind of, maybe they're not in that situation. Like what, what's the pre-frame for, for blocking their number or, yeah. It, it's, it's another thing that I have to explain and teach to them is what are they feeling? So if you feel drained, if you're feeling manipulated, if you're feeling shame, if it's becoming annoying, you, you do it. I mean, if it's a violation of your personal space, whether you're at home or at work or just out and about, as you Canadians say, you know, out, boot. <laughs> out <laughs> about boot you know, boot, eh? enjoying the day, um, it's your right as a spiritual being to determine who can contact you and who cannot and when they okay can. you know okay. i've had people where i've said you know what you can only contact me by email and that's the ultimate control in your part because yeah you cannot when you read it then you're not having to immediately respond you can then you know take a couple breaths because all the emotions the negative emotions are going to conjure up from just reading one sentence even if it's yeah. something polite so that's, you know, that's, I've done that, but you have to, particularly in this day and age with social, not block yeah. people on social. I have no qualms about it. Uh, I, I just can't be bothered. I, mm -hmm. I cannot deal with the need. I don't play needy. So people that are really needy, you know. Um, but I also grew up in, in a generation and time frame that I, I wouldn't call my father unless it's literally a 911 situation. Yeah. But, you know, looking back, I would have had them the hospital call. Like we just just didn't do that anyway. It's just not socially acceptable. So, you know, it's 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 one way that I do it. You control it. You control it on your phone. Mm -hmm. Right. That makes sense. Um, yeah, I think like the energy draining thing and manipulation. If you don't That's, feel excited about the person contacting you, you need to stop for a minute and ask yourself why. Don't even pick up the phone. Ask yourself, why do I really want to deal with this person? Is this yeah. the right time? Do I like actually like this person, but it's just not the right time. You need to call them back another time. 
yeah. you, you need to you need to talk to yourself first. Yeah. Because that's that's when um, you're protecting yourself and setting that boundary, and you're also then sending them a signal. Mm. You you can't be played with. Yeah. But the phone is the big thing. Phone and social, obviously, in this day and age. I think so too. Like, I think, like, the whole sending the signal thing, like, I think, like, where people get caught up, and you're saying, like, set the boundary, which is the reason why that's hard is because people get caught up in, like, you know, maybe they love this person. Maybe it's a really close friend. Maybe it's a relation, like a, um, a partner, or maybe it's like a, a parent or a sibling, whatever it is. But you get caught up in like, I want to help this person. And then, and then you just kind of like, but if you let them manipulate or take your energy, they just will. Right. So at the end of the day, let me, let me explain this to you. It's one thing that they, they'll know about you is you have the energy and power that they don't. They're struggling. They're in a lot of pain. People that are hurting, whether they realize or not, will hurt other people. Yeah. Subconsciously. Right? They're hurting. Mm-hmm. They're in pain. So they see you as a powerful source. They know, they know exactly what words to use, the tone of voice to use. Matt, I'm going to call you and this is what I need and woe is me. They know exactly what phrases to use because they are so um, they're such masters of manipulating. They know what strings to point and it's all the more challenging when it's someone that's close to you, whether it's DNA related or, you know, someone you've known throughout your life. Um, they're, They're hurting and they're coming to you but what they need to learn is that they can't come because it's hurting you. It's, it's, it's inevitably hurting. They need to get professional help. Yeah. That's why there are so many people that are licensed. You know, like I said in my last podcast, you can go to exotic location and get clean. I'm like, well, yeah. if I have that problem, I would be there in an exotic yeah. location. And I don't yeah. know if I'd come back. Because yeah. I probably enjoy myself in the new yeah, life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, it's they are they are about, and one another good book I, I recommend people read, and it's a challenging one to read. It's called People of the Lie um, by Scott Peck. I couldn't even. I, it took me a while to wrap my head around that there are people that actually think this way, and this goes in deep into manipulation. And, different ways people will con them and it took again it took me a while to get through it because i had to put it down it's heavy it was draining and my head doesn't think this way i'm a straight shooter yeah logical individual but you know i had to teach myself train my mind to listen to those people that that were do you think like you mentioned like people are in pain and they will like inflict pain on others. Um, and like, even if it's like not conscious, like subconscious, do you think a lot of it is, I mean, some of it clear, like, you know, there's always going to be a spectrum, but like, 
I think for the average addict, it's like subconscious. Like they're just not like, I've talked to a lot of them on here in this podcast and something that like common thing they say is like, uh, that it went through and stuff that like, I was so wrapped up in my addiction that I would just say anything at all to get to the drug or get to the alcohol. It was like, it wasn't even me. It was like, I would just say anything just to like, that was the only thing on my mind. It was like one track mind, say anything or do anything to get to that. So your question was, are, do they realize how much pain they're in? Did you think, uh, sorry, do you think it's, um, do you think it's subconscious for the most part or like oh, they're not? I mean, they're so not conscious of the pain they're inflicting on others or they 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 don't think about it because they're so wrapped up in what they're doing they can't because it's it's such it's almost a narcissistic behavioral pattern that yeah. at certain points is so deeply embedded in our lower brain stem by that yeah they don't yeah. know it's all they know yeah and at the end of the day, you are right. What matters is that they're going to look forward to that, that substance, whatever their choice of poison is. Yeah. So they, they look for survival purposes. They look for the person that's going to feel sorry for them or that's going to help them to get mm -hmm. to that substance or yeah. give them that, that high that they're looking for. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, they don't know it. They don't know it. And if you recall my uh, podcast with you, I had spent time going to Al-Anon meetings. And then I went to AA meetings. I just yeah. went there. I wanted to see the difference. Yeah. And, you know, the people in the AA were just relieved to have that monkey, so to speak, off their back. And we're talking yeah. about plans that they were looking forward to in their life. And it was very supportive. And the energy mm -hmm. level is much higher than the Al-Anon, where I just felt mm -hmm. like people have just been run over yeah defeated i imagine like helpless in the right. situation right right so because ultimately yeah. like they say all the time it's like the addict has to make their own decision to stop so you can like tie yourself out trying to help them but that's really like and we'll get into what's next after boundaries but that's really where i think people uh struggle that's where I've struggled in my life. And um, I actually lost a friend, um, you know, when I, I set boundaries read like for, for years, but like, how do you help? Like, what do you do? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, can you help? Or do yeah. you just, or you they just don't. Professional help. It's, you're not licensed to do it. You know, like, yeah. when I, it's like, how do you get them there? They have to find their way on their own. Mm. It, it is tough love. They have to figure it out on their own. You have to tell them you have you need to get help and you need to do it on your own. You can't go in there with um, I don't advise because again you're then putting yourself at risk. You know, it's it's like if someone needs any type of surgery, you're not yeah. doing it for them. Yeah. When I had to go through two rounds of chemotherapy, I didn't call someone up one day, a girlfriend, and say, you know what, I don't feel like going today. Do you mind taking it for me? <laughs> It's really fun. You're going to love it. <laughs> Just wait till you get all that Benadryl. You'll be knocked right out. After the first one, it's like nothing. <laughs> exactly. I said, I just don't feel like it. Yeah, they have to do it on their own. And that's what the yeah. one addict has to realize. Is mm -hmm. this, is, this is not in their, this is not their responsibility. 
Yeah. What's what's your opinion on interventions? They have to be carefully, carefully done. Yeah. With everyone in the right mindset to do it. But they yeah. have to be done through love, mm -hmm. not through attack. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if they always work. Uh, again, mm -hmm. that's putting the non-addict. It's asking a lot of the non-addicts. Yeah. They, sure. they have to be careful. I, I believe Nicole, public figure Nicole Kidwin did one for her husband. Because soon after they were married, then she realized he was mad. Mm -hmm. And there was some sort of method that she did. But I know, I know she used the approach of love, but it was done. Now, her father, whose past was a psychologist, so he probably would have definitely had an effective method. But I, I don't, yeah. I don't recommend them unless you, you speak to a professional about how to do it. So you want to speak to a psychologist. Yeah, you want to know exactly how to do it. Maybe even like if you can have the professional there. That's it's kind of a sketchy thing because then they feel like. I imagine they would feel like attacked because there's a random person wherever you end up doing it. But um, yeah, like getting professional help. Like I think the worst thing you could do is just try to do it on your own and just make it up or yeah, just do what you think is right. It's like someone putting a gun to your head and you're trying to talk them out of it. I don't. I, I yeah. don't. I would not put. I want anyone to put that upon themselves. Yeah. Again, the, you know the. The addict needs to learn that it's their problem and their situation. Yeah. That they have to deal with. Mm -hmm. And they need to figure it out. So boundaries is usually the first thing that you work on. And all the different ways to set boundaries, because many people are not accustomed to doing it. And not accustomed to doing it the extreme that needs to be done. Yes. Right? You know, um, contacting the local police saying this individual is not allowed in the neighborhood at any point in time. And I'll be honest with you, they appreciate notification of that in advance rather than have the situation escalate and the person that you don't want around anymore coming to the house and all of a sudden drama takes place. Mm -hmm. um, Police officers, men and women, would appreciate notification in advance, and they will see to it that, that person keeps their distance. Because you have to set boundaries like that sometimes, dependent on the severity. Right. And, and what? Yeah. And what would what would you recommend for like a friend, like maybe a friend that's not that close, um, or maybe they are close, and it's like they're not necessarily draining energy from you, but um, you can see what's happening. Would it just with boundaries? Would it be the same thing? Boundaries, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's no crime in saying to someone, a, <clears throat> excuse me, in a caring method. You know, have you thought about <clears throat> getting some professional help? Because mm -hmm. um, then you can tell whether or not the person really realizes the severity of their situation or not. Yeah, if they're on the defense about it, then don't waste your time. Any, yeah. and it seems very cold, but you need to look at yourself. This is not fair to the non-addict. 
it's not fair to their their lives, their family's lives. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not fair to a healthy individual. Mm-hmm. It's like taking gasoline and just throwing it at the individual. It's just toxic. Mm-hmm. Not, it's not their. It's not fair to. It's not fair to you. You mm-hmm. know, we we are in. You know, we we are spiritual beings. We have spiritual rights in how we choose to live our life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like I'm hearing Britney Spears with an IUD. I'm like, my God, how the poor woman, she can't even choose to have more of a family or not. Yet she's a spiritual individual. She sh- at some point, unless there's something more psychologically going on there than we don't know about, that no one will know about except the psychiatrist, you know, there's a woman who, you know, is a spiritual being regardless of her religious preferences, and she can't even get married and have a child, another mm-hmm. child. Um, she, you know, that. so you need to really, I, I, I say it over and over again, people need to set boundaries because you need to protect yourself. You don't realize just how um, toxic it is, how much it wears away at an individual's, not just their psyche, but, you know, it can affect them physically making them sick yeah and i think i think when you do set boundaries you realize that and you tune into your own feelings you know it's like Mm. being out in this dreaded heat i was out too long on saturday um and i was out on a walk and i had to walk home and i was like oh i'm really struggling i'm gonna have to sit down on someone's sidewalk um in order to just regroup because I didn't realize how much I was really pushing my body. So I was just enjoying the fact that we're getting clear of this pandemic and I was out enjoying the law. And I didn't realize just how hot it was. I read it on the news, but I wasn't listening to my body. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't bring water with me. I'm like, what were you thinking? Mm-hmm. Um, so you can, the point is, is you can, go on and on in life to the point that you don't realize it's how detrimental how much it's affecting you yeah i go back to my experience with work as you know i don't want anyone's family members calling in and screaming to their family members because again they're infecting interrupting my my work environment as well it's not fair yeah i understand for sure you need to protect your own energy no yeah 100 percent. you're right what, what would be like the next thing you might work on? So the boundaries would be the big one, it sounds like. And what would be the next? Then once thing? you've established those boundaries, then they very much need to learn. And I just was, you know, conversationally talking with this for you. They need to tune into their own needs. What's interesting is many of them have spent so much time helping the addict, they don't they've let go of their own personal needs, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not listening to their heartbeat. They're not paying attention that, that you know, their blood pressure is elevated, that they're sweating and comfortable because they've been in that state so long that they think it's normal. So what then I train them to do is find out what their needs are in life, what their ambitions are, in life, what they've been wanting to do but they haven't been able to do really get into their head for them to focus on themselves and it's going to feel narcissistic 
and it does have a negative connotation in our you know environment but sometimes you have to be self-focused and love mm -hmm. yourself mm -hmm. no i think you're 100 percent right you need to tune in person needs to tune in to their own needs and wants and once they've set those boundaries and continue to set the boundaries because mm -hmm. what they find is there's so much of their needs not being met that they need to even further extend yeah like i said contact local police yeah and that's what they're there for yeah yeah i think let the workplace let the security guard at the building that you work at them mm -hmm. they actually yeah. appreciate that because they're there to make sure that nothing dramatic happens mm -hmm. so by yeah. them being on alert you know they're aware of it already instead of getting surprised someday right um yeah i think you're 100 right there like focusing on your own needs and like filling up your own cup like when you really look inward and and yeah it just makes a lot of sense like you can be so wrapped up in in you know other people's problems and um you know that energy draining and and, and everything that you don't even know you lose yourself in it like you said like all your basic needs go out you don't pay attention to what you need anymore or, or how you are even happy you're just so focused on this other person this other person's struggle so that makes a lot of sense and at the end of the day i mean let's look at it even more logically from a spiritual standpoint it's not what the divine god the universe whatever you choose to look at it this is not what we are here on earth for we are all given individual gifts mm -hmm. and we're here to live out that mission mm -hmm. so if someone's getting in the way of, of something that divinely i'm here to do mm -hmm. they're they're out i have to sit mm -hmm. down because they're interrupting not just me physically emotionally psychologically but they're inter interrupting what's my purpose is. Mm -hmm. that's just a waste waste yeah. of life I'm yeah so precious and we know that all the more with this pandemic it's so precious it can yeah. be gone you know 20 years flies by in a snap. Mm -hmm. When I say to people, I'm 20 years out of cancer, I think, my God, that flew by. It's hell, mm -hmm. but man, it flew by. It goes by. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you need to, um, you need, it's, there's no shame and it's nothing wrong with focusing on your, your needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, my hat really goes off to these caretakers or these, nurses or providers for example the assisted living where i go and visit my father every time i go in there i go in there with food for them not just for him yeah because i get it mm -hmm. and they've been working through the pandemic mm -hmm. i can't yeah. imagine how during there but i can see it i can certainly see it yeah yeah it's it's um it's very commendable work. And I mean, like even what you're doing and, and I do the same thing, like being a coach, like we're doing the same kind of thing where it's like our purpose is actually to help other people do their purpose, you know, so. Right, but I, I you know, I make sure I set up the boundary. Yeah, exactly, yeah. 
I, I follow, listen to my intuition. I listen to my gut, mm -hmm. uh, which many people are not trained to do. Um, for mm -hmm. me, it comes naturally, but you know, people need to listen to their intuition and their gut, which they may have lost track. Yeah. No, that's, that's interesting. That's something I've really tapped into over the last like year or so. Um, and um, something I'd like to learn more about. But I think like looking back at my own life, I mean, it's just my own experience and I'll share it. Like every time I've went against my gut feeling, it turned out horrible. And every time I go with it, even if it doesn't seem like the right thing logically at the time, it's like, that's, it was the right thing to do in the end. And it's, uh, when you start looking into the subconscious mind and how much of our brain is subconscious, like there's something else going on there. And if you have a feeling, um, it's probably intuition about something. It's probably correct. Yeah. I mean, it could actually too be from God, divine, the universe or whatever. I mean, I know I, yeah. just from yeah. my own nature, um, you know, I've been so cautious at times that I'm perceived as stubborn, but I'm really just, you know, the lever in me, I'm balancing, I'm balancing, is this right to do? How does this feel in my gut? And I'll, I'll take time to sit back and double check it in my own energy, you know, does this feel right or is this for wrong? Particularly the bigger decisions, of, you know, because if you make one wrong decision in life, it's worse than taking the wrong exit on the highway. Yeah. <laughs> At least in the United States, you've got about 20 minutes to find another exit and turn around <laughs> you take a wrong path in life and regardless of how much the universe sends you signals that no 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 abort abort you know exit here exit here turn around um yeah. it it can be it can wreak havoc on your entire your life the original plan sure. got ahead Got to go off-roading for a bit. Yeah, find the highway, you know. Pull over to the shoulder. Yeah. Hazards. Why do you have to swim across a lake or something? <laughs> Get back to the right side of the pond. But uh, it's always great chatting, Beth. Uh, is what so? Maybe we'll just go over one thing, one more thing that you would go go over with your with your clients, non-addicts. Would there be any other big point that you would touch on? boundaries um, setting um, boundaries listening to themselves um finding out their needs oh yeah it's it's going through the the vocabulary i, I give a lot of examples of, of shaming things that are considered shaming things that project guilt onto an individual ways in which people can manipulate that again people that are not hardwired by nature to do that um, they need to learn that they need mm. for their own protection you know I, I go back to this book of people of why you know i remember this book being recommended to me and um they even give you a forewarning <laughs> at the beginning of the book that this is going to be really challenging to read because right. i had what i was trying handle with hair i even underlined that <laughs> um because right. i had wrap my head around what I was trying to do was understand the mind of an addict I wanted to understand again I come yeah. from a non-judgmental point I just want to understand it from a psychological standpoint but I you know I couldn't even wrap my head around some of the stories that are in there on the manipulation that goes on mm -hmm. and it's not from being naive or being living in a sheltered life it's just 
you know, more the more brilliant and intelligent they are, it's it's amazing. The more intricate it can get. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's training them to pay attention to when they are being fed toxic shame. That it's okay to feel guilty. That's healthy. But if you start feeling shame and, and it's not warranted, mm-hmm. that that's not right. Um, you know, another good book I read was Healing the Shame That Binds. Um, outstanding John Bradshaw. He's got a number of great books. But, you know, that's, you have to learn learn about shaming. Some of that stems from dependent in the United States of where you grew up, what religion you are, but you know, some of that can be learned in the church. That's how, that's how deep-rooted that is. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. raised Catholic, thank God, but my friends that are, that are recovering Catholics, you know, I hear these horror stories mm-hmm. and how they were shamed and guilty and put the God of fear in them. Right. To the For point sure. that it's toxic. So what? yeah, what I do is I sit and I teach them, you know, they give me examples and I'll, I'll literally turn back around and explain them exactly how they were just wolves put over the place, how they were, right. how they were snowed. Right. And then I'll show them the pattern. I write them out. I'm big on writing things out because again, I'm big on having that roadmap um, yeah. for them so that they can take that with them. And, and reread and process it. It takes a while. It's one thing you're listening to me right now, but you know, you know, later today, maybe even tomorrow, this conversation will go through the back of your mind again mm-hmm. because it's important to you. It really resonates. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, they need. It takes time to process. You can't oh yeah, hundred percent. It's like digesting food. You, know, you need yeah. time to process. So that's the other thing is that, and that's part of one of my favorite parts is really just digging in to each individual's case and figuring out where the manipulation is and teaching them to be mm-hmm. on alert about it. So again, it goes back to establishing those boundaries and ultimately protecting yourself. Mm-hmm. You know. That makes a lot of sense. As a child um, growing up, I wasn't taught to necessarily protect myself aside from don't fall down and scratch my knees and you know bang myself up when I was playing mm-hmm. you know soccer or whatever sport outside I was taught to physically protect myself from getting injured but mm-hmm. there's a whole other level of protecting yourself children just aren't taught yeah that makes a lot of sense don't talk to strangers is not enough yeah stranger danger that you teach children that's not 100% um, I think we'll end it there for today, Beth. I think this was a lot of valuable information um, to give out, and I think uh, it's heavy. I get it, but you know, when you take time to actually do the work, yeah. um, I mean, it life is just literally so much better. You're not carrying that. When you go to an airport, the baggage claim, you take your bag. You don't pick up someone else. Mm-hmm. So that's the same thing I look at for someone that poor soul that's struggling with addiction. It's a shame, but I'm not at the baggage claim going to pick up their bag. Yeah. I'm just going to pick up my one little bag that I neatly, you know, packed everything in that's light so that I can carry on with my mm-hmm. trip, not carrying that around. Yes. It's a strong analogy, but it's a it's a powerful. 
It is for sure. Um, thanks so much for coming on again today. It was great chatting. It's always great chatting. And, and I'll send uh, links to the books for viewers just because they are really powerful. I mean, these are things that you read. I have post-it notes in them. And then you go back to or one of those things that you just kind of want to go back to. So it's heavy stuff, and but you want to process. But it's so, once you understand, it's so powerful. That's awesome. Thanks so much, Beth. We'll try to get to it. Okay, take care.